great to be with you and to take a look at God's Word together. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 9. I believe the text is also printed for you in your bulletins. And we're going to be looking at what, honestly, in some ways, is one of the stranger stories in the Gospels. Uh, Luke chapter 9, and uh, we're talking about, well, if you, if you have your Bibles out, uh, the heading probably says, The Transfiguration. Odd thing to find in our scriptures, it seems like, in these days, but let's take a look. Um, Luke chapter 9, uh, starting at verse 28. This is what uh, the Lord has for us. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him. Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this. This is your word. This is your word, which is the truth. And, and not some abstract, uh, out there, theoretical truth. It's the truth that we need for daily life. So give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Lead us by your spirit. And remember your promise that you are conforming us to the image of your son. Would you continue forward in that this morning? We ask in your son's name. Amen. So it was an iPhone miracle. Uh, Amy and I uh, were having a little vacation time. We were doing one of those floating through a river things, and a uh, real river. And, and so we're floating through the river, and this lady on the shore calls out, and she says, have you seen an iPhone? Now, why she didn't say, have you seen a phone? I don't know. You know, I saw a Samsung, but I left it. But let me, you know, so I'm like, no. And Amy says, you know what? And she swims back up against the current, dives down in this rather dark water, and comes up holding an iPhone in a plastic waterproof casing. She had been going along and had seen something that just seemed odd. It seemed out of place. But it didn't register this is something valuable until she heard that and goes back up and she finds the iPhone. Something like that happens for the disciples in this passage. There's something odd, bizarre, that happens, and yet, you know, we get to the end of the passage, and like, we don't tell anyone about this for a long time, because it didn't make sense 
until later. But once it made sense later, it was so much better than having found an iPhone. Because what's happening here is they're getting to see Jesus in his glory and finding out later on what that really means for them. So what, what's happening here? Well, you know, our, our heading says the transfiguration, and that does seem like more appropriate for Harry Potter these days than for our Bibles. But, but what's happening? Well, it says you know, eight days later, uh, about eight days later, about a week later than these things, uh, Jesus went with these three disciples up to the mountain to pray. And three days after what things? Good question. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they all have Peter giving his confession of Jesus is. You are the Christ, chosen one. And Jesus says to his disciples, some of you standing here are not going to taste death until you've seen the, the kingdom come. And then all three gospels say, about a week later, Jesus took these three disciples and they went up on the mountain. They got to see the kingdom. They go up there, and they see this unveiling of great glory. Now, glory is one of those words that's hard to define. Uh, everyone has some concept of it, and yet when we say, hey, what does that mean? Everyone's kind of hymns and haws, and yet, and yet we're using these ideas all the time. Uh, we talk about a brilliant student, someone who's bright, or we talk about someone who's a star, you know, who, who is the best point guard of all time? Is it really Steph Curry or isn't it? We're, we're always talking about what are these things that shine for us, that bring radiance, that what is it that really has meaning to us? And, and when we dig down into scriptural language, this is talking about something. It's a question of weight. It's a question of depth. It's a question of worth. Who is worthy? What is worthy? It's this idea of being laden down with riches and honor and power and majesty and brightness. There's light in this concept. And the disciples go up with Jesus, and he starts to pray. And this bizarre thing happens, verse 29. The appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And Matthew tells us that Jesus himself starts to shine. Mark tells us that his clothing was so white that no laundromat on the face of the earth could have made it that white. Something radical is happening here. What is happening now is they're getting to see this glimpse of what Jesus prays in John 17 when he says, Father, Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Or what we read in Hebrews 1, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he's upholding the universe by the word of his power. This is the light that blinded Paul, Saul, on the road to Damascus. And it's not just this concept that we're picking up on in the New Testament, but this is something that we've seen. If we, if we think back into the Old Testament, and there's this time when the tabernacle is constructed and the glory of the Lord fills it such that the people cannot be there. The disciples are seeing that glory up on the mountain. This column of fire that they got to follow in the wilderness, this 
glory that again fills the temple later on. This fire from heaven that falls and consumes the offering of Elijah up on Mount Carmel. The disciples are seeing this revelation that Jesus is God. That this guy, this carpenter that they've been hanging out with for a while and they call him rabbi and they call him teacher and they've seen him do some amazing stuff, you know? And now they're seeing this I don't even have a category now for who this person is. He is so great. He is so large. He is so much more. This is the revealing of Jesus' glory as God. It's his own glory. It's not a reflected glory. And it had always been with him, but intentionally concealed. So if we, if we are reading Harry Potter or if we're looking at other ideas these days and age, the idea of transfiguration is you're going to change something from one thing and into another thing. And yet here's Jesus transforming from what he really is into what he really is. This is fully God, fully man. And these disciples are seeing this is the Holy One. This is the holy, holy, holy one, and he's right here with us on the mountain. What Jesus do you worship? Do you see Jesus as the holy, holy, holy one? Do you see him as the Lord of glory? Do you see the one that in his presence we should be struck dead? As God told Moses, you can't see my full glory and live, and yet somehow or another the disciples are living. Is your Jesus just a little baby permanently in the manger scene? Or the one who is always going to say, I'm for you no matter what. It's your Jesus, one who is eternal. One who is so much bigger than anything that our human minds can comprehend. One whose brightness dazzles us. One whose purity Lays us open. One whose might causes us to sing that he's our great warrior, as we did earlier. Who's your Jesus? Well, we get to see more about who this Jesus is. He's sharing this glory in a way. There are these witnesses that are there. Peter, James, and John, they're there. And Elijah and Moses are there. And how when the disciples kind of wake up and they see these two guys, they know this is Elijah and Moses. I mean, we don't know how the introductions went or name tags or, or whatever was going on. But, but they, they, they get startled and they see Jesus glowing. And these two principal figures from the Old Testament. 
Moses, the lawgiver. Moses, who had been on Sinai, seeing these amazing things happening up on the mountain. He had led God's people to salvation. Then Elijah, this faithful prophet who takes on the prophets of Baal and comes out seeing God's victory. performed all these amazing works and miracles. And and here are these guys representing the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets up there giving witness to who Jesus is. That the dazzling white wasn't enough to go, this really is the Lord. The law and the prophets are there affirming the same thing. They're affirming this and they are up there saying, to the disciples, we don't have records of the conversations, but they're in this way saying to the disciples, y'all better pay attention. This is this amazing, amazing person. And, and in this we see this other grace. If you remember what happened in Numbers chapter 20, children of Israel are in the desert And they get thirsty. And God tells Moses, speak to the rock that water will come. And Moses strikes the rock with the staff twice. Now we don't know exactly how all this fits together, but 1 Corinthians 10.4 tells us that rock was Christ. And for having disobeyed the voice of God and for having struck the rock, God tells Moses, you can't go into the promised land. Disobeyed intentionally my word. You're not going to enter in to the promised land that you've invested the last many years of your life in guiding this people to which you've suffered, for which you've been ridiculed. You're not going in. And now where's Moses? He's in the promised land. But God's grace comes out on Moses. It says, there's place in my promised land for rebels. There can be a place in my promised land for those who have spat in my face. There can be a place in my promised land for those who willfully and intentionally disobey my direct instructions. But there is grace. There is great grace. And Peter's enjoying this environment, you know, And he says, Master, this is great. Let's build these these three palapas, these palm frond huts. You might find uh, in more southern climes on the beach. And he's saying, this is so great. I just want things to stay like this. And there there are these times where we get this encounter with God and his glory and God and his goodness, and and that's our reaction, no? 
Let's, let's keep it just like this. I want this feeling all the time. And, and Peter's connecting things that the prophets had made this connection between the, the Feast of the Tabernacles and the coming of the kingdom. And so Peter's saying, this is it, that's great, let's build our little tabernacles and let's just sit in it. And, and yet that wasn't the purpose of what was going on, to just sit in things and enjoy it. Because Moses, who is there, having had his greatest moments on Mount Sinai, and Elijah there, who'd had his greatest moments on Mount Carmel, are now on another mountain with Jesus, but to talk to him about yet another mountain. What's going on? Verse 30. It says, Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, literally his exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. This isn't some random Jesus wanting to show off his glory. This isn't some Peter, James, and John, you get to have the cool experience. You got to see the big guys from the OT. They're there saying, Jesus, Calvary is coming. The plans you've made with your father have come together. And now comes the rejection of your friends followers. Now comes the rejection where your father turns his face away. There are thorns that are coming and lashes, spitting, and ridicule. And you, the Lord of glory, are going to be placed on a cross. And for these guys here that can't stay awake and these guys here that can't figure out what's going on and they just want to build some tabernacles, you're going to go do all that for them. You're going to go pour your blood out, chosen people. And it's time to move that way. And, and this chapter, especially in Mark's gospel, serves as a hinge. That everything up until this point is Jesus teaching and Jesus healing and doing his works. And then from this point forward, he's marching to the cross. And Moses and Elijah are there talking to him about that. And we don't know all the content, and, and, and perhaps I've speculated a little bit on details of the conversation. What is going on? As they're saying, you have to go forward. This is the way. This is what you and your father have planned. This is your father's will. It is time for you to suffer. You're going to do it. For these guys, you're going to do it, Moses and Elijah, even 
He's doing it for them. And there's been this amazing, dazzling glory revealed. But here we're finding an even greater glory, an even greater grace. That the Lord of glory would knowingly, intentionally, purposefully, lovingly choose agony to save us, choose death to give life to people like us. There had been this question throughout Luke 9. Who is Jesus? Herod asks and no one answers. Back in verse 9, verse 18, Jesus says, who do the multitudes say that I am? And there's a variety of answers. Verse 20, Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ of God. And now we see this is the one who's willing to go and die for us. And we hear the voice of the Father. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Who is Jesus? Who is the Jesus that we serve, that we follow? He's the holy, holy, holy one who loves us so much that he's willing to suffer for us. What happens to us when we start to comprehend that? And and I feel like I'm only beginning to start to comprehend all that. But what does that mean? If we can see this figure who just deserves awe, And know on the one hand that this brings about this exposure of I'm not all that. He's like this and I'm I'm not glowing. I mean, this is really bright and I'm bald, so maybe I am. But it, I'm not all that. And a question for you. If Jesus is this glorious, why do we keep looking for our own glory? If Jesus is this glorious and loves us so much, why is it that we keep wanting people to think we're special? And I get depressed if people don't interact with my social media enough. And and I want people to like me. And I want approval. And, and, And please don't mishear me. It's so good for us to encourage each other. It is so good for us to appreciate and love one another. And yet there's something in me that craves more. Perhaps something in you that craves more. And if Jesus is this good, Is it possible that he could fill that place for you? That he could be good enough for you? 
that you can stop striving to find it on your own. If we have this awe of, oh my goodness, this is who Jesus is, can we receive comfort? Can we receive this surety that if my Savior is like this, things are going to be okay? And right now, they really might not look okay because we're hurting. And we're seeing so much that's broken. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. But if our Jesus is like this, and if he's willing to go and do what he did for us, and if he's able to conceal his glory, glory that we look out right now and we're saying, Lord, where is that? I didn't get to be with these guys on the mountain. Where is that? Won't you show it? If Jesus concealing that glory was meant for incredible good, could God concealing his glory in your life right now, could that also be good? Could that also be that God is doing something amazing behind the scenes that right now I'm not privy to and right now all I can do is kind of hold on or not even hold on but just say, Lord, will you hold on to me because I don't see how this can turn out right. we start trusting that he's in there, that he is even meeting us at that place, and that he will bring about grace and glory, even in these dark spots. If we start to get this idea of this awe that there is in Jesus What about those people that haven't seen that Jesus yet? What about the mission that Jesus has given to us, his people, his church? There's this interesting parallel between this passage and the, the passage that we call the Great Commission. Because in the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Well, that's what the disciples are seeing on this mountain. This is the Lord of all authority in heaven and earth. And he is displaying this glory, this glory that overwhelms and yet will be the glory that we get to share in in the new Jerusalem. And Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. Go and make disciples and hear the voice from heaven says, listen to him. And, and the idea, scripturally, of listening, if, if you're really listening, if you're really hearing, you do it. You obey. If you're not obeying, you didn't hear. And, 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 and I'm not talking about works righteousness. I'm not talking about going and making ourselves perfect in ways that we're not going to experience until we enter into glory. But what does it mean? our Jesus to be the Lord of glory, for our Jesus to be the one who 
chooses to go to the cross to spill out his sin so that his perfect righteousness, sorry, what did I say? Spills his blood, conquers our sin, offers forgiveness and life to all who trust in him. And if you're not yet at that point, think about this, Jesus. See his glory, see his love, see his grace, and call out to him. Because he is good. And he will not turn you. And for those who are saying, yes, this is our Jesus. He has a mission that he calls us to follow him on it. What does that look like for you? What does it look like when Jesus is giving instructions to his apostles, but it's one that spills over to the rest of us too, of you'll be my witnesses, of go and make disciples, teaching people to observe, to obey all that I've commanded you, to see them baptized coming into the family of faith, What does it mean for you to follow Jesus on his mission? What does it mean for you to see this dazzling, wonderful, humble Lord and follow him and what he has? Jesus' glory, he said, knowledge of that glory is going to cover the earth as the waters fill the sea. That one day, every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess that glory. One day, there's going to be an uncountable multitude in glory before the throne of the Lord singing his praises. Are you going to be part of that? People you know and love, are they going to be part of that? People that God's putting in your path, will they be part of that? Will all the families of the earth truly be blessed in Abraham? Are we going to participate in that? God is so good. Let's pray.